Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, everyone, we're back to another episode of The Flow Line here in the lovely booth, aka AES Studio. We're surrounded by lighting and camera stuff. Matt, what is it? It's an effort to make all of our people look their best selves for headshots. Yeah. So we got some light boxes, and the thing about light boxes is they take up a lot of space to diffuse light. (laughs) No, I think it's cool. Again, as a social media guy, I think having a good headshot is important, and it's, you know, it's about your personal brand, it's your reputation. Again, I think it's neat that we've taken the initiative because a lot of people, you know, there's some have pictures of them fishing with their back towards the camera, which is totally cool too. But then other folks like a nice big smile and we're here to offer that to our employees. I think it's neat. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want it, it's not just like you could pay a photographer to come in and obviously they could probably do better than we can. But the hard part is if you miss that day or you hire on later, whatever, it's not something you can do all the time. But since we have this media room and everything, yeah, we can you know get things dialed in and that way you can have a headshot that you can use for all your stuff, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So. No, I think it's great. It's another added example of how we do one thing is how we do everything. Nothing but the best. Exactly. <laughs> Don't limp into this. <laughs> Speaking of the best, Matt, how are the best Astros doing lately? That's an uncomfortable answer because they got swept by the Mariners. They got swept? Oh, it was bad. Oh, it, was, it was a train wreck. So I didn't miss much while I was at the Snoop Dogg Wiz Khalifa concert on no. Saturday? You were there? Oh, yeah. Are you one of the people that got heat exhaustion? <laughs> Probably. I don't remember. <laughs> no, I actually walked out of there and it wasn't too bad. We were on the lawn. Okay. Um, and we'll get back to the Astros. But, again, but no, quick, I want to hear get... more about that. Everyone wants to hear more about you and Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of forest fires. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, it was interesting. It was a cool group of folks. I mean, again, if... What was the venue? It was Cynthia Pavilion. With- oh, that's perfect for something like yeah, that. It, it yeah, it was neat, man. And again, growing up in the you know in the 90s when Snoop and Wiz kind of came on the map, Too Short was there, Warren G was there. So if you're a hip hop fan and you're, you know, mid 30s, early 40s and even older, you know, again, it brought back some nostalgia. Again, we went with a good group of oil field folks, a bunch of customers, service folks. So yeah, it was a good group of industry, you know, and the wives came. And so, yeah, it was a good time. It was hot, but we, you know, again, we're all adults and we, you know, hydrated and we weren't completely, you know, we were responsible. So no one got sick or like heat exhaustion, but there were a lot of people you could tell around there that were struggling. Were you on the lawn or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, I, yeah. I always prefer the lawn. The lawn was cool. And because the screens are big and again, you can kind of walk around and I didn't realize because anytime I've been there, I've, you know, tried to get good seats and so you're close, but I didn't realize the back part of the lawn, there's still places you can get drinks oh, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And so found that quite convenient, but overall it was a good time. And again, just a complete mix of folks, but again, it was great. I went to a ludicrous show mostly so I could see who else was there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, cool. And I'll say my best Cynthia Woods venue, I went to a, it was Leonard Skinnerd. Oh, cool. I was in high school. Yeah. Walked in shirtless and barefoot. 
fit right in. No way. Like, yeah. I was just part of the background. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's so true. Actually, it was one of, it was really neat. One of the engineers that came with us, he grew up in the woodlands and he said when he was in high school, him and his friends used to go to venue. And so anytime he goes back, it's like, you know, kind of, you know, blast from the past. Yeah. Because I had been there, you know, a few times over the years, but when I moved here, I was, you know, I wasn't in high school, but, you know, again, I didn't realize it was around for that long yeah. uh, and one of the guys that was there is like yeah we used to come here in high school and he told me all kinds of good stories and I bet yeah it was, it, was, uh, it was a good time but anyway so I didn't get to watch the Astros get swept by the Mariners which are the Mariners even good is, was it one of those where we just like we weren't prepared what happened they're good and they're doing really well right now but we just look terrible like hey, you know it's one thing when you're like man they're just the better team right now or what have you but mm. When you play really, it's just really hard when you know they could play better and yeah. they look that bad. And so it just, yeah, it's frustrating. And you're kind of like, we're too late in the season to be goofing off like this and no kidding. all that. So well, apparently they had a team meeting. Hopefully they do better against the Red Sox. Okay. I will be in attendance on Thursday, day game. Nice. So, That'll be fun. Yeah. So I haven't been to a game this season. Clearly, I'm not a huge, huge fan. I am a fan, but right now with how hot it is, is it miserable or, I mean, is it manageable? I mean, how is this? Right. The diamonds is hot? So, I mean, it's enclosed, right? So it's air conditioned and they only open oh. the roof. I've heard it's just like general, may vary, but 80-20 rule. Below 80 degrees, less than 20% chance of rain. Ah. Is when the roof is open, which is like never. So, <laughs> right. Okay. So, like, I think the only games I've been where the roof's open is like very early in the spring or like during the World Series, like during the sure. playoffs when Major League Baseball actually gets to decide not the oh, Astros. Okay. So, didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. So, so it'll be enclosed. You're not going to be like dying no, in a, in a be, sauna. No, just getting to and from the ballpark will be death, but. Yeah. So are they still second in their division? Because they were yeah. next to the Rangers, weren't they? Yeah. So I still trail the Rangers by a couple of games, and but the Mariners are right on their tails. So. Sheesh, Seattle. Okay. Well, more to come next week, and October's coming sooner than later, so yeah. hopefully they'll be ready. They better be. Perfect. Well, I think they will be. In the meantime, we'll keep talking about drilling fluids, Matt, and one of the you know topics of discussions, and this came up maybe a few months ago when, I mean, they're publicly traded, and they came out, Matador came out, and we were talking about these horseshoe wells, and we found it interesting. We did a little deep dive into it, and you know, high-level speaking, Matt, would you mind defining that? And I think it's important to sort of walk through from a drilling fluids perspective some of the challenges and i mean is it like rocket science to drill these things you know what do we have to do to prepare what are some of the challenges i think it'd be kind of neat to walk through and kind of you know again have a discussion around horseshoe wells yeah so a horseshoe well is it's drilling well in the shape like it sounds Mm -hmm. so think about drilling down to whatever bench you're trying to get to and you drill horizontally and then hang a hard left or a hard right (laughs) and keep doing it and come back the way you came. Yeah. And so you have this big U shape and, you know, usually these are two mile laterals. Think of your sort of sectioned in. Mm-hmm. And so the idea would be getting production from two one milers yeah. off of one main well bore. And if you think about just economics these days and that sort of thing, like not a lot of people are drilling one mile laterals anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can get that much more coverage, so, you know, recovery per foot, if you can get the same recovery per foot and all that kind of thing without having to drill two separate wells, this could be, you know, your ticket to sort of to better well economics and in maybe some areas you would otherwise overlook and say, I'm going to go drill the longer laterals now. 
Yeah, so. no, it makes sense. Just again, I'm not a well-designed expert, but I would imagine if you're limited and you can knock two laterals out with one, you know, essentially intermediate in surface, it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I mean, and you know, it's sort of interesting the history behind this started with, and this was published, kind of the first one I think a lot got a lot of people talking was Shell. They were drilling a lateral, went on total losses, and basically plugged off and, you know, abandoned the well. Okay. And then when they went to drill another one, basically in that same that same section, they were like, well, what if we go, we, like, we have this good reservoir area here. What if we tried to get it with this other one or actually what they did is I think they re-entered a well. That's right. So they re, I don't know. I just read about this. I don't like, <laughs> I know I'm getting older, but I just read about this to prepare. Okay. Like just people. <laughs> so I love the humility there. That's good. <laughs> but anyways, they drilled past that loss zone already on another lateral. And they were like, well, what if we just drill deep in this well, basically extended it, made a hard U-turn, came back, and got the rest of so we don't have to leave any oil in the ground mm-hmm. in this area on this bench. Right. And so, you know, that was in the Journal of Petroleum Technology. Good little write-up on that that you should be able to find. That was about 2020. Okay. So it's been a few years. But then you saw a lot of other operators follow suit because this is all done with pretty conventional equipment. Yeah. So Chesapeake has a really good paper on one they did in South Texas where they said, look, yeah, you know, this wasn't too huge of a step out for us, blah, blah, blah. And then Matador was like, hey, this is part of our playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the thing. So if you go to their investor presentations, right. it basically says, look, when this situation arises, we can do this and we can do this reliably and it's improving our economics. Yeah. So that gets a lot of people talking of like, hey, these are funny looking wells. And most of the time, you know, I think we've drilled four, four and a half mile laterals now. And so everybody's kind of like, okay, well, We'll probably get to five. We'll probably, you know, who knows how far we'll go. (laughs) But what if we do instead do funky shapes? Right. So, and, you know, the other interesting thing is I get to do this in one run. The problem is some people would say, well, what if you just like sidetracked out of your main wellbore and drilled another lateral? Right. And yes, that is an option. And in fact, our brethren to the north, a lot of what they do, they call fish bones. Yeah. Where they drill a main called the mother bore. And then they drill out these, like a bunch of extra laterals to get more reservoir exposure. It works, but, and like it's done in a lot of places, it depends on the reservoir, depends on how strong the formation is. Mm-hmm. If you're going to frack it and you need to actually like case things off and isolate them, you need a junction where you sidetracked Yeah. if you want to keep both well bores. And it, it gets messy and making sure you go in the right one when you're going in hole, all that. So like yeah. there's something simplistic in a way about going on a big U-shape than like sidetracking your intermediate and drilling another one right next to your current one. So anyways, horseshoes make a lot of sense from that perspective. It does. And one might think, well, why don't we always do this? But the reality is, is I guess we're not quite as constrained on land because there's, again, it's area specific, but nonetheless, it did drum up some attention. And so naturally, you know, and this might be an interesting conversation if, you know, someone in the directional world, you know, was to chime in, but from a drilling fluids perspective, there are some challenges, but maybe not as many as one would think. So what, what do you think some of the challenges are? I mean, we've been involved with these. And Matt, what were some of the things that you encountered, I mean, dealing with the account manager and our technical team? Well, on the fluid side, I think the two things that come up. One is everybody's worried about hole clinging, right? right? And I think we go back to this is the production section. We have really high annular velocities, way more than we need. And so 
even though you're hanging a hard turn and that sort of thing, with good drilling practices, you can clean the hole and it's not that difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, keep in mind, who knows, maybe someday we decide to drill two mile horseshoe. We're two miles out and come back two miles. Maybe that's what's next. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, these are relatively short laterals, right? Two miles. Most people now, when they talk about, you know, where they're looking ahead, it's three miles plus. In the Northeast, it's four miles plus. We've got the rigs. We've got the equipment. This is a relatively benign big picture. And so we've still got the flow rate. I think the other thing is when you drill this trajectory where you drill down, kind of kick out, go make a hard turn, drill your horizontal, make a U-turn, come back. I'll jump onto torque here in a minute, but like wellborn stability, think about all the different stress planes you could be drilling through, or maybe before you weren't crossing that many that way, where you, you know, risking wellborn stability. Right. And I'd imagine getting stuck and trying to get this, fish this stuff out of there in a well like that is something one would rather not learn how to do. <laughs> but all that being said, you may need to lean on some higher mud weights just in a general wellbore stability, like understanding yeah. what your window is and maybe saying, okay, I might need to commit to the higher side of this earlier. Right. That could be it. But otherwise, from a fluids perspective, it's it's a little disappointing. Like, we, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of want to get in and press on some exciting things or ways you can change the game and like really, you know, the torque, like, it's bad, but I was looking at directional drilling indices for some of these wells that were published, and, like, it wasn't anything all that far out of the ordinary. Yeah. And, like, you would think that this had to be, like, a rotary steerable for the kind of directional control. And, like, the Chesapeake paper, they're like, we did it all on motors. Mm-hmm. It was cheaper. Right. And it's like, okay. So, you know, torque, like, obviously there's tortuosity, there's stuff to keep in mind there and you probably want a good directional company to right you know simplify that but you know almost all these have been done on oil-based mud as far as i can tell but that being said like we're not overwhelmed by that and we're using rigs that have drilled two mile three well capable of doing something much longer right so you know i mean that's the thing like i wish i had some glamorous problem to solve like as an engineer (laughs) there's part of me that yearns to have a eureka moment with some of this stuff and yeah frankly i think this goes back to maybe a theme we've carried out in some of our discussions, like get your basics right. Right. Like you want to make things complicated because something's pretty different. Mm-hmm. And you, maybe your biggest risk is overcomplicating something that is simpler than you have to make it out to be, right? Mm-hmm. It does. And I think it's a testament aid to, you know, again, rig performance and like yeah. overall power and you know, its ability to handle excessive amounts of torque and perhaps drill pipe. And then it comes down to horsepower and pumps. And, you know, I think, you know, if you were to try and do this, call it 10 years ago, there may have been a different story to where then, you know, you might've had to add some fancy either lubricant or you might've had to do some, you know, wild cleanup cycles every two or 3000 feet and, you know, running real time hydraulics to make sure you're cleaning the hole. And, you know, the reality is, is if you have your basics down and you stick to the fundamentals of drilling fluids, you know, it really wasn't that challenging. And again, because of the, you know, directional and the rigs and everything else, I think that would be a probably a more exciting conversation. But then at the end of the day, if you look at the measured depth, it's nothing <laughs> astronomical. We've drilled way further. But again, I think it is a testament to the rig hands making sure that, you know, again, they're watching for signs at the shakers, making sure there's no sloughing and mm. keeping your properties in line and just doing all the little things right, I think adds up to a successful well. And then, you know, and another part of it too is, oh, I lost my train of thought, but nonetheless, yeah, it's not as 
again, at first when I saw it, I too was like, oh, wow, what did we add? Like, what, did you have to do anything special? And at the end of the day, it was, you know, you did the little things right and you stuck to the basics and it all worked out. Yeah, well, and kudos to the drilling engineers that, you know, did the due diligence on these up front. You know, what I admire about some of the literature is they talk about, hey, we're going to do this conventionally. We're not going to make anything complicated. Yeah. We're going to, you know, take the right steps on torque and drag modeling and trend analysis relative to our models while we're drilling and some other things where they did the engineering and monitored whether the upfront engineering was aligning with like the well plan as it was being executed. Yeah. And the thing was, when you did all of that, there weren't that many surprises. I mean, that's what is really refreshing about it is maybe this would have been a very like, you know, it's like, ah, we just gave it a shot, you know, <laughs> put in a bent sub and just, we have no idea when it turned, Yeah, yeah. you know, and then it was like, well, no, it sort of fell in line. Even I think one of them talked about ROP where it was like, yeah, you know, on a motor, we were sliding a lot more because of all this directional change, but like fell in line with our time curve or what we expected it to take. Yeah. No, that's know? a good point. And I think, and too, is, you know, when you think horse, you might think, they were doing some crazy, you know, degrees per hundred, but they didn't. So I think one of the things, again, publicly that was they were proud of was doing it at a little bit of a more of an aggressive turn so that they could come back sooner than I think traditionally it was like eight degrees per hundred. And I think most recently folks are doing it in 12 degrees per hundred. So again, I think that's, but again, it's like drilling a curve. And so directional folks are not uncomfortable with doing that. So, but to your point, it's again, I think it's, worth discussing if anyone out there on the drilling fluid side has any like crazy ideas or thoughts or <laughs> experiences it'd be great to hear but uh, to your point i think the mud weight thing is worth noting and but aside from that you know running good hydraulics again coming down to planning but again even the hydraulics looking at the models because talking to some folks internally who had looked at it, it there was like yeah there's nothing really here and you shrug. look at the data and you're like yeah it looks the same as a normal well so yeah again interesting conversation yeah, well, and I think there's part of this that I just think I'm glad we're talking about it, even though it's probably a pretty disappointing episode for some mud engineers who were hoping to find it, you know, <laughs> yeah. but like I was talking, so we've been working with an operator, we're publishing a paper with them and it's on automated mud measurements mm. and you go through case histories in your technical paper. And one of the arguments is like, one of the best case histories for automated measurement is when nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, directional company says, oh, there's something wrong with the mud or blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what does the screen say? The screen says nothing changed. Like, that's still a case history. Yeah. It's not the, oh, my gosh, we saw the mud weight drifting or somebody left a valve open and we caught it. Like, those things are obviously, like, a clear, like, oh, this could have been a bigger problem. But, like, the other one is the, like, everything went fine. Yeah. And you don't want to talk about that one as much because it's – not as compelling of a story sometimes, but here it's like, well, do we just not talk about it because there's not much to talk about? Or is it, let's recognize it and explain why there might not be as much to talk about as you intuitively think. Yeah, so. no, good point. And I guess that kind of leaves me with one last thought, Matt, is is there going to be more of these U-turn wells or other letters of the alphabet for that matter, fishbone, you know, because you're ultimately limited on surface of where you can poke holes in the ground. So I would imagine over time there's going to be efforts to create ways to expose more of the reservoir th through a single surface and intermediate. I mean, you would think so, just, you know, the way the economics drive that. And it goes back, like, look, we know how far we've gone. I was sort of, te I mentioned it earlier. Yeah. 
But like this was sort of an engineering solution to an economic problem in as much as I can't drill outside my lease line. And if I have to drill two wells, that's going to be way more expensive than if I could get this done in one. But they're short lateral, so I'm only going to get so much production. Like, how do I make this work? Mm -hmm. But how many places are there where you've only got that lease line limiting you and it's worth it, blah, blah, blah. So there's that. There's all this consolidation we continue to hear about where it's like, well, do people just straight up end up with larger, you know, adjacent leases that they could drill into, for example, where they don't have these constraints? Or is it just like, we get so good at drilling a few years from now where we're like, hey, let's drill a zigzag well. Let's <laughs> drill a mile out and a mile back and a mile out and a mile back. Like, let's drill a four-mile lateral with three turns in it. Right. Because... We can, and there's not enough friction pressure loss to affect our production. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but I think there's, you know, right now it's, this is a very gettable, doable thing with this very specific scenario that exists, but isn't everywhere. Right. You know, we have as many, way more conversations about drilling three, three and a half, four mile laterals than we do about horseshoe wells. Mm -hmm. But with the number of people doing them, it's very obvious that there's a need for them occasionally. Yeah. So No, it's almost like an operator's tool in the toolbox. You know what I yeah. mean? And for us, it's, you know, business as usual for the most part with a little, maybe a little more pre-planning, but for the most part, same, same. And so, you know, again, I encourage folks out there who are listening, if they've been involved with some unique well designs to reach out and yeah, share some interesting challenges that you may have encountered. And again, coming back to it, it's most of the good conversations we have or topics that we have come from the audience. And so this would be one I, again, really encourage folks to reach out. Matt, any closing last words before we take off here? No, I mean, I hope we didn't disappoint anybody. <laughs> no, well, again, appreciate all the support. If you could review, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. Check us out on LinkedIn. We continue to pump out good, valuable content for everyone, whether it's educational or just kind of getting an inside look at the company. And YouTube as well. we got some great videos. Reach out to us on email if you'd like at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Make sure to connect with Matt and I on LinkedIn. With that being said, take care, everyone. Till next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.